Welcome to Wild and Free with Sarah and Nicole. Let's see what's on our minds today. Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome to our podcast, Wild and Free with Sarah. Oh, and Nicole, I was going to let Sarah say her I was going to let Sarah say her name, but then I said Sarah's name and I was going to wait for her to say Nicole. Anyway, this is uh this is the perfect way to start today's podcast. It really is. Oh, it really is. We're feeling yeah, this, a little We're having one of those days, you guys. The fact that we're even um, doing a podcast is kind of a miracle, especially today. We already had to cancel our first podcast time, and then we had, we had to, to move it. We had to reschedule. Yep, we had to reschedule. Um, so, but here we are. Mm-hmm. So let's see how it but goes. But we didn't reschedule for you guys. You guys will still be able to um, hear us Friday morning. So yes. for you all, it's Friday morning. Um, but for us, it's been a bit of a day. Sarah's had a bit of a day. I became a cleaning monster this morning. Like on my hands and knees, wiping my baseboards. Oh. What is that? It's good. It's, it's I know it's them. good. I know it's good. So, um, yeah, it's really great to be here this morning. It's nice, it's nice to see Sarah's beautiful face. There's no one else I would rather be doing this with here today. I know. I love seeing your face too, even though um, we are seeing each other through Skype on computers because Nicole and I are not sitting in a room together as much as we wish we were. Oh, as much as we wish we were. Yes. I'm in the Northwest. I'm in Spokane, Washington, and it is cold and rainy. Right. And I'm in Palm Springs, California, where it is (laughs) beautiful outside. (laughs) I, you know what? It's cold is a relative term when you live in the desert. So it's cold for us today is a balmy mm, 70 degrees. Oh, God. So it's not, no, it's not cold. It's supposed to rain tomorrow. But no, Sarah and I are in two different locations. Um, I'm in California. She's in Spokane. Um, I will say we did meet in Spokane. So the roots of our relationship did begin in Spokane, Washington. We are just not there together. We did live in Spokane together in 2017. which was We were a block away from each other, which was amazing. Yes, and that was a very interesting year for both of us. But we're not going to talk about that one today. No, we're gonna, we'll we'll do our 2017 podcast. At Maybe a later in 2019. Day. Yeah, I'm not even ready to talk about last mm, year. Mm-mm. Those of you that know us and are close to us know what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about. We're just not going to move into that yet. So, um, but no, there were a few people asking if we were in the same room or like where we both are, and so. Um, yeah, that's just to clear that up. I'm in my office in Palm, uh, Palm Springs, and Sarah's in her office in Spokane. So let's get started with our cards today. I've actually had a few people ask about the cards. Like, well, what? they're amazing. I know they are amazing, and they're they're yeah. beautiful. Yeah, they're absolutely beautiful. I want to say one note about Elena Brower. Um, she's an amazing <clears throat> yoga teacher. She's a yoga teacher. She talks about um, you know she she talks about recovery a little bit. She does essential oils. Um, but she has this card deck and then the book that goes along with it, The Art of Attention. It's a yoga journal. Um, I haven't checked that one out yet, but the book that I do love of hers is one called Practice You. Um, and it's a journal that I was actually terrified of for a long time because, for one, it's beautiful. It's like she's taken watercolors and painted in this journal and there's sections and there's questions and prompts to kind of get you to dig deep. And there's, mm. the sections are based on the different chakras. So you start with the root chakra, which is all about our foundation. And then you go up from there. Um, but first, I was terrified of it because it's beautiful. And I didn't want to ruin it by writing in it. 
even though it's a journal. <laughs> like that was her intention when writing it was to write in it and to me to write mess in it, it up. <laughs> right, exactly. But it's so pretty that it sat on my shelf for like a year. Um, and then I started writing in it and then I got to a really hard question. And you're like, I'm done writing. And I haven't written in it in a while. It was, it was about like, right. And I'm going to start crying right now, even thinking about it. But it was, you know, one morning I woke up early. My daughter was asleep next to me in bed. It was probably 5.30 a.m. I had to like, leave the house at 7 to go teach a yoga class. And the, the prompt was, you know, write a letter to your four-year-old self. And I'm like, oh. not today. Yeah. <laughs> not now. <laughs> not doing it. Not today. That's a lot for today. Um, but her journal is really amazing. Uh, so that's uh, Practice You. And she actually just had a new card deck. I, I sound like I'm like promoting her. She's not paid me. She doesn't <laughs> She doesn't know me at all. If she wants to talk to me, that'd be she, Oh, I think she I'll, needs I'll to that. because you're doing a great job. God, she, I, she doesn't even – no, I've given her one hug. I've given her okay. a hug before. But um, this is not a paid advertisement. Um, but she has a new card deck that came out yesterday. We and, should get it. Uh, I know. I was actually looking on uh, the website. I really want to get it. Maybe uh, I can for get some that Christmas for your 11-year recovery birthday present. Oh, you're so sweet. That would be that would be lovely. Yes, I did celebrate 11 years on Sunday. Yes, you did. I did. I did. I celebrated. I celebrated a lot. We went hiking. I did a yoga class. It was great. Um. So anyway. I'm going to get back. Obviously, our tangent. This, pod, this is going this to be, be today. I've today. already I've already had to mark a spot for an edit, you guys. So yep. something that you guys aren't going to hear has already been taken out. Yep. It was two minutes in. We're not going to be very organized. We're going to try and get through this, but this we're just showing up today. So bear with us. Here yeah, we, we are. Um, so anyway, let's get to the cards. Let's have the yep. cards focus us. Let's have the cards bring us into center. So I've already shuffled once, but here we go again. You guys heard it. Um, so I'll shuffle a little bit more here and then you guys hear that airplane? That's really loud. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that guys. Okay. So we have one for, I'm going to pull for Sarah first. Please do. Pull for Sarah first. Ooh, I'm so excited. So Sarah, for you today, we got empower. Oh, God. Empower yourself and others to reach with kindness. There you go, Ben. That one's for you. I needed that one today. She needed that today. She needed that today for sure. So Sarah's got some empower. Let's see what I need today. I don't even know what I need today. Angels and beings know what I need today. Oh, I got heal. Okay, that's really good. It's always good. Return yeah. your attention to the present and stay close to yourself. Ugh. And look, it's a forward fold. Nice, gentle, beautiful. All right, you guys. So Sarah is empowered. I am healing. Let's see what we got for all you out there for the podcast today. Let's see. Moving through. We have uh, light. Light. Bring light to each interaction. Mm, well, hopefully, Sarah and I can bring a little light to each other. We normally do. Light and laughter. Light and laughter. And then hopefully we can bring a little light to you, and then we can continue to share and pass on that light. So, oh, that's so fun. Okay. So, again, I will post the cards in the show notes. It's Elena Brower and Erica Jago. <coughs> 
Bless you. Um, I still have a cold, so I might cough my way through this. I'm sorry for those of you who have to listen to me today. You're fine. You're fine. All right. So that sets the, sets the podcast today. Empower, heal, and light. Can I just ask you, what does your shirt say? Oh, it's pretty ironic. I came home to do this podcast and put on my pajamas, and it says, today is the best day ever. <laughs> you know, we you can... Know? We can do a quick U-turn any time in the day. We can start the That's, day over any time. Yep. I'm, I've started mine over a couple times today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think I will probably have a couple more times I'm going to have to start over. There we go. There we go. This is what we that's do. That's okay. That's what we do. So why don't we do a, a quick and a little check-in? Yeah. You should go first. Um. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I've had a rough day, um, but the last the last week has kind of just been pretty hectic. Today has been extremely hectic. Right before I got on the podcast, I actually fell down my stairs. Um, I was rushing, which I feel like is kind of a theme in my life and my week as I just rush from one place to the nether and from one meeting to the nether and from one person to the other. So I definitely need to be more conscious and slow down um, and just breathe. But I, I went tumbling down the stairs um, and scraped my body up pretty good. And right before that, I was actually on the phone with a doctor. Um, I've been having some really weird health stuff this last year. Um, I've had these like crazy blistered rashes and I have a lot of, um, intestinal problems and I'm sure I'll talk more about my health. I know I will talk more about my health journey and, um, things that have worked and things that haven't worked, but, I do think I have an autoimmune condition because I get really strange flare-ups, especially when I get stressed out. So it's enough that I actually went to a doctor a couple months ago, and I've he wasn't able to really figure out what happened. But I just got off the phone with a new doctor in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and he looked at my blood work and was able to figure out in two seconds that I, ha- I was born with a strange liver mutation. Um, and he was explaining that basically my body has a hard time detoxifying itself and absorbing my nutrients, mm. which is probably why I'm having a lot of these symptoms. Um, and I've had liver problems in the past. I did have, I was diagnosed almost 10 years ago with hepatitis C, um, for my drug use. And I no longer have that. Thank God. Um, I, I am in full remission and it's not active at all. And, and so my first question is always like, well, is that related to the hepatitis? And, Mm -hmm. and it's not, it's an actual birth mutation. Mm. Um, so there's that. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm embarking on a new healing journey. Um, there's other things that I wish I could talk about. It's funny. I say like show up and be brutally human uh, to a point Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just for, um, my, my professional, the state and personal well-being. There's some things I can't talk about, but um, it's weighing really heavy and it's been very, very stressful. Like right now in my life, I think my stress level is probably about a seven. Um, and so I got a lot of the answers I needed to get today. And I guess I just need to continue to move forward. And I definitely had a slight bitch fit about it. And I did cry a little bit today. But it, and then I remembered like last week on the podcast, I talked about upwire your brain and Dr. Cooper says, you know, give yourself 60 seconds to really get upset about whatever it is you're going through. And so I'm really trying to incorporate those tools, like let myself be upset, have my little bitch fit about it, but then get into solutions. So at least I've got the answers I needed today in a lot of different areas and I get to make decisions. 
that, you know, can hopefully empower me to be my best self and, and make choices that I need to in my life. So, um, yeah, that was my day. I don't, I don't, I would, we I don't really want to talk about my week because we'd be here for too long, but, um, that's my little check-in. Yeah. Did you, what do listen, you got? did you, um, was there anything interesting that you listened to this week or anything interesting that you, um, anything that kind of grabbed your attention while like through Thanksgiving oh, yeah. are or we anything go like that? Content? Are we doing week check-ins or are we going, to, I'll talk about content because I did listen to one. Yeah. Let's go into so, it. Yeah. Let's go yeah, into it. And then good. I'll do the same. I'll do a check-in and then content. Yeah. Perfect. So I had the intention of consuming three different pieces of content and it did not happen. Well, it was um, Thanksgiving, work has been busy, but you, at least you got yeah, something in. I did. So I listened to, um, I think it was called the Pro, it was the Prozac Yogi. Oh, right. You told me about this. Yeah. And so I listened to it early on in the week um, and it was great. It It's a smaller podcast. Um, I loved the host and she's actually getting, I think she's getting her PhD, um, in yoga and mental health, which, mm-hmm. uh, was really interesting. Cause that's a lot of, um, it's like Nikki and I mixed together. That's what we're very <laughs> interested in. Yeah, yeah. Both of us, you know, mental health and, and yoga and healing. And, and it, what drew me to it was the title was something about OCD. Mm. Um, and you would know or, nothing about that. So I do have slight OCD. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually was diagnosed by a doctor years ago, but I also was um, shooting a lot of cocaine. Well, that makes a difference. So for sure. my OCD was definitely heightened and I was very um, active in my addiction, but very secretive. Mm-hmm. So people really didn't know I had such a severe problem at that time. So I was put on medication that I never took. Um, mm. But it was so amazing because she talked about OCD in a way that I've never heard anybody talk about it. And she really, she she talked about it from her own pr- perspective and her own experience that basically everybody thinks that OCD um, comes out in the form of you know, clicking the lights on five times and moving the piece of paper and being really, really clean. But OCD can also be like our thought patterns and thinking horrible things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that obsessive, that obsessiveness of, oh my God, I didn't unplug my curling iron mm-hmm. and my house is going to burn down and my dogs are going to die. You know, she's yeah. that example, but with her cat. And I was like, oh my God, like, I do that. Mm-hmm. I do that I do when that. I leave the yoga studio. I'm so terrified that I leave the heaters on that there have been times where I've been, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes away and I would drive back yeah. just to make sure that I didn't that leave it, the heaters on. And that the yoga studio is not burning down and mm-hmm. you just burn down the yoga studio. Right. Yeah. Yep, yeah. I do it all and, the time. Yeah. And so, and mine goes, I am not on medication. Um, and the other part of her podcast was about medication, which I found so liberating and I and I'm and I love what she had to say but for the OCD mine's really bad when I fly Mm, yeah so I get like extreme obsessive compulsive um disorder based around fearful thoughts when I fly in airplanes now and OCD is linked there is some linkages and correlations to trauma um and usually like a certain event or something can trigger you to be more OCD or obsessive compulsive about certain things. And so mine is with flying and I had a horrible experience about three or four years ago. And and I had like actual PTSD from, from, from that flight 
we had to do an emergency landing in a different city um, and the plane broke. Mm. And <laughs> since then, I am, I used to fly all over the world. I mean, all I did was travel and fly and I never thought twice about it. But mm-hmm. since then, um, I cannot get on an airplane and be, have sane, healthy thoughts. Yeah. Um, I have to take GABA, which is a natural anti-anxiety pill. Um, and even that really doesn't help. And I had a horrible time flying back from Fiji and got really sick for 11 hours. It was like stuck in my worst nightmare in my own brain and it's not rational. But um, that's really where mine's heightened. But I do remember when I first got sober, the the obsessive thoughts of me being sick or um, you know, my hepatitis and leaving the house and what if this happens? And I was so fearful my life, you know, and I never was really before. Mm. And I think the trauma I endured during my addiction, just like, I've always been intense. And like, we've laughed about like, I am obsessive about symmetry. Mm-hmm. I do have that. It's clean. I wish I had the OCD gene to be like a lot cleaner. I shouldn't say that because for some people who have that, it's probably really torturous debilitating I'm sure yeah Yeah. debilitating but um yeah it's something that I don't ever talk about but I do have and I've always just thought it was normal but listening to her just talk about it in such an authentic and vulnerable and very detailed way was just so refreshing Mm -hmm. um and I realized like yeah I still have some of those tendencies it's so much better than it was 10 years ago but but it's I still, still there. It. Yeah. And I love that, like, just like these conversations that we're having, you know, she opened up a discussion to you for you to feel a part of, you know, for you to feel like, oh, I'm not the only one. And oh, you gave me something to like grab onto and hold on to. And like, you know, like it, it felt very, it sounds like it was very informative and very yeah. helpful for you. Like, oh, so this is what I do. It's not wrong. It's not bad. I'm not crazy. Da 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 da. All that stuff that can go on. It's like, oh, and it's actually like, like I can, I, I don't know, I, I, I tend to like categories in that way sometimes because I can say, oh, this is what that thing is. And then there's probably a solution for it. You know, yeah. it sounds like there is. So no, exactly. And I'll benefit from it. I know I could, I get no, OCD I in well, other ways. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And I think there's something, I mean, that could be a later discussion, but the, the correlation between uh, addictions of multiple to it's, there's, it's obsession. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is that ob- Anybody who has struggled with any form of addiction understands the obsessive compulsive thoughts and actions that go with it. Totally. Um, And so I think it's just part of my personality and things I have to deal with and the crosses I have to bear. And and the other thing she did talk about, which I I lightly want to talk about because I think it's really important and, and especially for anybody listening who has mental health needs, mm-hmm. but she talked about her um, experience with Prozac and being on medication mm. and how it saved her life. Right. And, and the idea of, Oh, you can't like, she was, um, I think she's a coach and, and she's wellness and yoga and she's into self manifestation and all of the things that we're into. And a lot mm-hmm. of the things that you are, she's like, but I could not self manifest my way out of my debilitating depression that was going to make me kill myself because when in order to manifest you really it it starts with your thoughts mm-hmm. but if your brain is not actually working and you are unable to control your thoughts and your um, intentions manifestation is harder right and so there's this stigma like oh if you're well into the wellness community don't take medication like something must be wrong with you it's bad it's evil 
And she was just saying, like, you know, once she got on, I think it was Prozac, um, she had a slight bad reaction. But besides that, she's like, it saved my life. And I see that so much with people who are getting sober, who do have other mental health needs besides just substance abuse, um, mm-hmm. you know, debilitating depression, anxiety, once they find their right concoction for their brain, because again, and I loved it, she talked about serotonin, and I always talk about dopamine, so I love that she went into the kind of neuro side of medication, um, but breaking that stigma, and again, it, this goes back to kind of what we talked about last week in a different context, but we all deserve to heal, we're all going to have different ways that we're going to be able to heal, you know, and, and that's part of like our journey and find what works for you. Right. Right. And I love this discussion too, because you know, my story in particular, yeah, my story in particular is very, um, you know, I'm in, I'm in recovery. I just, I just celebrated 11 years. And for, I think the first, um, and I've always, always struggled with depression always i've always struggled with mental health issues um you know i think the first time it, i was put into a, a psych ward i think for the first time when i was 13 you know yeah. and i was i think it, i went in a total of six times as a teenager um to various um either psych wards or um you know 72 hour holds for my mental health so it was no secret for me that I not only was an alcoholic and, and an addict, but I also had this like predisposition. And, and it, it is genetic. For it me. is. It, it goes back in my family. I On both sides of my family, um, there is a lot of mental health issues. And so that was something that I definitely experienced before getting sober. And then after getting sober... Um, you know, I, I use drugs and alcohol as a way to cope with it. I, I wouldn't recommend it. It wasn't a great way to cope with that, <laughs> but I didn't know worse. any better. It makes it worse, but I didn't know any better. So when I got sober and took that coping skill away, I had to build new coping skills. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and actually everything that I did when I first got into recovery helped, you know, there were these things that I would bring in, you know, really my yoga practice. Cause I started that right away. Um, my yoga practice came in, I started to get physically into my body, which made a big difference. I started to connect with people around me that understood that same issue. I started to, uh, I did a lot of journaling. I did a lot of writing. There was a lot of self-work that I did the first probably seven, eight years of my recovery that helped me manage. I also, I will say I was also in therapy. Yep. So at three years sober, I started um, I built a really great relationship with a therapist in Santa Barbara, and that was really helpful too. Um, so I did, <clears throat> you know, up until that point, I was very hesitant to do anything, have anything to do with medication. And it was for two reasons. One was the stigma around yep. it in general. It was the stigma around it in general and not just in the world, but also in the recovery community. And the There's, wellness community. And the wellness community. In both. In both of them. It, it, in the recovery community, it's, oh, you're not doing the work enough. Mm-hmm. If you're you're if you're if still not feeling well, there's more personal work. You need to go further. There's something more you need to do. Or in the recovery community, it's, well, what are you putting into your body otherwise? Yeah. Or how, um, how ego-driven are you? Or how, you know, there's all of these other things that come in it from the wellness community that also makes it feel wrong to get on medication. And then, um, and so I, I always found other ways of managing and, and, and that worked for me. It was fine. And I will be the first to admit that I also hopped on that board and I judged people 
that were on medication. And I also was one of those people like, oh, okay, well, you need to work your program harder or you need to do this better. Or, and I will raise my hand and, and say that I was that person out of naivety, out of ignorance, um, <clears throat> out of not having that experience. And then I, I got pregnant and I had my daughter and everything went to hell. Every, yeah. Everything went to hell. Everything, everything changed. Everything changed for me. And I had terrible postpartum depression. Terrible. And finally, when my daughter was seven months old, I went back to my therapist um, <coughs> and uh, talked with her. And then I went to my my physician, my general physician, and she prescribed me medication. But I do want to just, um, I don't like to go into the nitty gritty of the postpartum depression, but sometimes I think it's important to give people an accurate um, description and understanding of what it looks like. And for me, it was, I refused to shower. You know, it would be six, seven, eight days mm-hmm. without taking a shower. It was not wanting to open the blinds, not wanting yeah. to leave the house, having a little baby that I couldn't, I, I actually couldn't emotionally or physically connect with. You know, it was things that would go through my brain, like my brain telling me ways to take care of my daughter that we're not taking care of my daughter. You know, yeah. it was very, very scary things that I never, ever, ever thought I would experience. And so um, when you get to that level, and thankfully, thankfully, I had a spouse on board that was so supportive and saw me and knew me before I had a child. And one of the main things that um, depression or especially postpartum depression, um, one of the main things I ask is, do you have any interest in things that you used to do before you had your baby? And I had none. I didn't want to get on my yoga. Like even in my house by myself with the blinds drawn, I didn't unroll my yoga mat once in probably six yeah. months. I mean, I didn't, I didn't shower. <laughs> you know, I didn't, like I literally, I actually didn't shower. I had put on, um, you know, I, I had I put on weight and I don't want to say that that's a, that's a bad thing. But for me, like for me in that state, um, that was an indicator for me that I wasn't who I normally was. And I, I wasn't able to get there. And so when I went to my general physician, she saved me. And I remember her describing it as, um, and you'll appreciate this because this is a brain thing, because I was very hesitant. I said that I was very, very hesitant to um, having anything to do with medication at all. And she pretty much described it like, she's like, your your brain. She's like, the medication that we're going to give you it doesn't add anything into your body. It doesn't give you more serotonin. It doesn't add anything into your body. What it does is it allows you to hold on to your serotonin a little bit longer because all that's happening is you're not holding on to that amount of serotonin that your body needs to operate at a functioning level. And so yeah. all this medication is doing is allowing you to hold on to that. And she's like, and there's nothing wrong with that. This is this is something that you that you need if if you were a diabetic and you needed insulin, would you feel bad taking the insulin? No, no, you wouldn't. And so that was for me, um, and it did that saved my life. It saved my relationship with my daughter, saved my relationship with my husband. Um, and I'm still on medication to this day. There have been times where I have gone off of it, um, not doctor recommended. And I just went off by myself in this journey of trying to have another baby. I decided that that was why I had a miscarriage. So I was going to stop my medication. Oh, I remember. You remember. That was 2017. Hello, 2017. 
Um, and it was, it was, it was, it was not, it was not pretty. Good. It was not good. And so I'm back on my medication and I take a low dose of, I think it's, um, sertraline, which is, uh, no, not Zoloft, maybe Zoloft. Um, and I take it and I talk about it and I let people know that that is one of the things that has helped me become who I am because I just need that, like that baseline, you know, and that gives me that baseline and it's, and it's biological. And if you have a, if you have an opinion about it, great. It's your opinion. You know, this is my no, life. And exactly. you know, you don't live in my body. You don't live in my world. You're not part of my family. Um, and this is what works for me and for us. And so to kind of ripping that stigma away from medication when needed, I think is so important because we can get very high and mighty here in our wellness community and our recovery community. Oh, yeah. Um, and yes, sometimes, a lot of times there are medications that are, you know, doled out, you know, willy nilly. And that's a whole and other discussion. side effects. Right. And that's a whole other discussion that we can yeah. have. But when it really does save your life and it really does allow you to be, um, you know, just a, just a member of not even society, but find like a member of your family, you know, exactly. then you need to take the medication. So I'm glad that you brought that up. I didn't realize we were going to talk about that today. I know, but it, as I was listening, that's why I called Nikki and I was like, I just listened to a really good podcast yeah. and it made me think of both of us and I'm not going to talk to you about it until we're on the podcast with each other. Yeah. And you didn't. I know. Yeah. That's know, great. But I knew you would relate. And I know, um, just through your experience, through all of this, it just made me think so much of you and so much of other people. And, and it's so funny because we really don't like to talk about <clears throat> mental health or mm -mm. addiction. Mm -mm. And we, I, we just don't as a society and in, in ourselves, it's so scary to admit like, Oh, I have really obsessive, crazy thoughts. Like, <laughs> Oh, I need to take my medication. I mean, there's such stigma. And when you do compare it to diabetes or cancer or like I have a liver mutation, I'm right. going to figure out what do I need to take to make my liver help detox itself. Right. And you're going to take that and you're going to do that. You're going to do everything you can to make sure that yeah. your body is okay and that you're able yeah. to function and live well and you're not in pain in your body is operating at its highest functional possibility. But when exactly. you start talking about recovery or mental health, mental health we have, I don't know why we put that on a different scale. It, well, I think it's scary because I think the reality is so many people yeah. are, so many people experience these things. And it's really hard to just say, me too. Right. Me too. Yeah. I have those thoughts also. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm actually... I'm also not okay, or I might drink too much. Um, so right. hopefully, you know, by a lot of us talking, not just you and me, but even this girl and, and other people, like the more we talk about it and own it and show up in the world, just being who we are, the more we give other permit people permission to do the same. Right. We open up that, we open up that dialogue and we open up that space for people to say me too, and then to find the help that they need and that they deserve exactly. and that's yep. available for them. And that they have permission like yes. permission to take care of yourself, however that looks. Right. That's exactly um, right. So that was the podcast. That was the one. And I started another one. I got three minutes in and then I um, got a phone call. So I'm going to continue to listen to it next week. But there you go. that was that was my one podcast. Well, it was a good one. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah it I sounds like it was a good one. The Prozac Yogi. Um, I haven't listened to any of her other ones, but I highly, highly recommend listening to that one. Yeah, and, and the other ones I'm going to listen to more. Yay. What about you? Oh, gosh. Well, um, 
I think I feel like we already did a little check-in. I, I did my my sobriety birthday. It was Thanksgiving. Things are good. Things in that area, you know, all, all that stuff is good. I want to talk about. Um, I didn't listen to as many podcasts this week either. I listened to two. Listened to two podcasts. Um, I listened to another Russell Brand, and it was not about recovery or anything like that. It was about. Um, I watched this documentary series on Netflix, the one called The Staircase with Michael Peterson. And I don't know if anybody else has watched that or not. Um, but I, but I watched it and then I listened to, um, the podcast, Russell Brand had the lawyer, David Rudolph on his podcast. And I just thought that was interesting. Um, it's just fun. This like, you know, content to consume. It was just all about justice, um, and kind of what that means and what that is. And that's a whole conversation that I, I mean, it's a good conversation. I still don't quite understand all of it because that's like a big thing for me. And I don't really know how I feel about it. I don't want to spoil the documentary for anybody. Um, But the other podcast I listened to, I listened to Citizen Well Again, Carrie Kelly. And I listened to older one um, that she had with Sean Korn. And Sean Korn is an international yoga teacher. She um, founded uh, the yoga nonprofit Off the Mat Into the World, where she creates leaders who can use yoga as a means of social justice and equality and um, bringing up yoga instructors and and leaders in the community to really stand for um, equal rights, social justice. And uh, I listened to her podcast and she was... I almost just want to be like, just listen to it. <laughs> yeah. Just listen to it because I wanted to take notes of the whole thing. I love Sean Korn and the way she speaks and I can really relate to her. But the one thing that I feel like, uh, you know, because me being a yoga teacher and also a trauma-informed yoga instructor, those are the kind of pieces that I hold on to. And she was talking about how her yoga practices has transformed over the years and how now she's finally getting to the point where Um, Or it took her about 10 years of practicing before she was able to get to the point where she could really touch on um, the trauma that she had as as a child. And I I, and she she talked about the first 10 years of her practice or something like that. The first few years of her practice being very physical, very physical. And what that reminded me is I think everybody kind of has that experience with yoga. Yeah. And I know I definitely did when I first got on the mat. Yeah, it was purely physical. It was just this powerful asana it was this amazing experience that i could do these things with just my yoga mat and my body when it gave me something to focus on like i actually learned how to breathe while doing other things and that intensity and that's why like for me the hot yoga right was what i've practiced since i got sober for eight years Mm because i just needed to be in the most intense environment moving sweating and breathing but it Mm -hmm. but there is that physical side and i think i'm always interested in 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 learning how to kind of tap into the other side. And I, I do sometimes, but not as much as I would like to or say I do. Yeah, and it's interesting because she she does touch on that, but she talks about the importance of that physical piece for her oh, nice. in being able to get into her body, um, in, like into her soul, you know, like into her heart space, like into um, – you can hear so many planes today. I'm so sorry, you guys. There's a lot of, <laughs> they a lot probably of, can't hear it. It's there's a lot of action going on. Oh, I can see it register. So, um, but um, she just talks about how the physical practice was very, very important. And I, and I appreciate that because sometimes, um, uh, y- yes, yoga is about uh, coming home to yourself, I think. Uh, it, you know, yoga means to, to unite. To yoke. The union. It's the union. Um, and I think of that as the, the mind, body, and soul. And then also, 
oh god there's just so much that they talked about on this podcast they talked about that too even being uh, you know as a, as a white woman in a place yep. of privilege being able and to say yoga. and doing yoga and saying that oh it's all it's available to one and it's supposed to unite us and it's supposed to bring I us know. all together um but not everybody has the privilege to practice no and not everybody has the privilege to practice in a hot yoga studio where right. it's Um, I do have to say, though, I am at a new studio. And eventually we need to talk more about we need to do a whole podcast on yoga. Yeah. Um, But I I love like I'm switching up my yoga practice because for the last eight years, I've been in a hot, hot room. Mm -hmm. I mean, at least probably 103, 104 degree room. And I'm actually transferring and I've gone over to more Baptiste style yoga at Eclipse um, power yoga studio with one of our girlfriends that Nicole yeah. and I both know Aaron and, and, um, it's just been amazing. And I'm really excited to kind of lean into a whole different side of my yoga practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, a, it's another new beginning and, and it's going to be interesting to see how it is. Yeah. And Aaron's really great at, at bringing you in. inwards. Oh, Fantastic. And that's what I really appreciate. She's a very powerful instructor, instructor, but she's also um, very powerful in the heart space and the soul space as well. Well, that's what the whole studio feels like. Like it really is. They created this beautiful space to create community, to make things accessible. And I feel like for people who are going there to really get connected to what matters and, and to shine from that spot. And I really need that in yoga because I actually was also um, almost done with a yoga training and I dropped out of it the last 20 hours. I was supposed to be certified and it did not feel, um, it did not feel good anymore. And I was not ready to, I was not ready to teach. And, and I had to be really honest with myself about that. Mm-hmm. So I realized through that, through training to become a yoga instructor that I really still needed yoga <laughs> for myself. <laughs> And then I wasn't ready to actually create space for other people because it's one of it's such a valuable tool for my own sanity that I started not doing yoga when I was in my yoga training um, and it didn't feel good. So I'm really happy with the decision to not finish my training and to continue to like dig deep in my own practice and and just be honest that like I still need yoga for me. Yeah, but. I think a lot of people have that experience that become teachers. And I know I've gone through different seasons in being a yoga teacher where um, I get away from my practice. And I find that when um, when I am in my own personal practice is and when I'm when I'm doing it myself, you know, I've been. Um, yeah. So this podcast with uh, Carrie Kelly and Sean Korn, I feel like really hit home on a lot of the ways I want to be a student that then translate into being a teacher. And then there was another gentleman that um, I was watching some video that someone posted on Facebook. I think it was yesterday. And it was with uh, Mark Whitwell, who I believe he studied under uh, Krishnamacharya, which is basically he is mm-hmm. like the father of modern yoga. Um, and he talks about how we can really only truly be a yoga teacher when we practice. Like and he says yoga with a capital Y and teacher with a capital T. And that's when we're practicing ourselves, being a student ourselves, and then really getting connected with our students on an individual level. Yep. Um, and then sharing that practice. And I feel like uh, lately that's kind of like what that, that's what I've been, I guess, craving. And that's what's been coming up around me, like in this podcast that I listened to about how to 
uh, embody your practice on your mat and then also how to take that off of your mat, as Sean Carmen would say, like yep. off your mat into the world and how to embody that in your relationships and then what you stand for and what we speak about. And then, um, so anyway, it was, um, I'll, I'll link to that podcast too, because I really love what Sean Corn is doing and I love what, um, Carrie Kelly is doing. And I think it's a really important time right now to, um, start to, really examine the relationships that we have with ourselves, the relationship that we have with our internalized forms of oppression, forms of dominance, um, are, especially as a white woman in the world, my, my white privilege that's inherent in everything that I do and everything that I think and everything that I say. Um, and I feel like my yoga practice, um, does allow me to, um, move through that and gain, and gain some clarity. So I, I really love that. And I'll, I'll link to that as well. So awesome. I did that. And then I have one last, I have one book that I'm reading and ugh, I really wanted to be done by the end of November. Oh, and I don't know. Cause what is today? The 28th. So I have three more days. Yep. Technically only two more days. We'll see. But, um, it's called five days at Memorial with Sherry Fink or by Sherry Fink. And, um, it's just a really fascinating book. It's a true story about what happened at Memorial hospital in um, New Orleans during hurricane Katrina yeah, you were talking about that. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Um, it's a little, you know, I don't want to say it's morbid, but I mean, it's definitely not it's a light depressing. read. It's not yeah. a light read. It's um, it's about the um, what happened in the five days after the hurricane hit in Katrina, some of the decisions that the doctors and nurses made in regards to quote unquote eating, uh, easing patient suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and as a result of some of that ease, the, I think there were 22 patients that ended up uh, dying and it was at the decision of some of the, uh, doctors and nurses at the hospital. And so it chronic, it, it just, um, it, it goes through and it talks about what happened. It goes through many different stories, many different people's perspectives, and then also goes through the court hearing as well. So, um, it's just really interesting. It's a really interesting read. Yeah. It's something different. I always read self-help. I always read yoga books. I always read, you know, things of that nature. And this was just something different Which is for so me to good. Kind of put, my, pull, put my brain around. And yeah, it's a little more, but it's also fascinating. And it brings up a whole conversation about death and yeah. dying. And um, it actually has had me even as like a very healthy, young 33 year old woman made me realize, you know, what if something were to happen to me Yeah, and I were to get sick and I were to go into the hospital and nobody, nobody had any direction on what I wanted done with me at end of life. Yeah. And so I know that's kind of hard and weird to think about, but I do think that like, again, death is another one of those things that we don't want to talk about. Yeah. I mean, we are inherently all dying, that, yeah. you know, from what we are doing, we are, you know, we are growing. We are, and then once we, after we hit up that, that peak phase, we're all decomposing. Well, and the trauma, I think the other thing is like, we don't talk about it in society and we don't talk about it. Um, I don't want to put, put blanket statements on we, but, but we've all lost people and we've all mm-hmm. um, experienced that and the deep grief and trauma that goes along with it. And, and we don't really have a whole lot of solutions to deal with the immense amount of pain that life can sometimes bring us. Um, right. And and I know that that is just I've lost so many people, um, and I've and I've w- watched people die in front of me, both in really really horrible horrible ways, um, and in some not some lesser horrible ways. Um, but I think it comes back to trauma, and it comes back to 
having solutions to how do we take care of ourselves in the messy, mm-hmm. messy world that is life and, right. and how do we support each other and, and, and how do we dig deep and, and keep going? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, like, what do we do to continue to move on despite the circumstances that affect us and happen to us yeah. and surround us? Um, you know, and that's why it's like, again, being an advocate for yourself, being an advocate for your loved ones. Um, and being really intentional and in, in what you need to be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I've done. That's helped me. Right. That's exactly right. So, yeah. So that's just, it's it's interesting. And it's had me start to think about things in a different, in a different way. So that was, yep. um, that's really what I'm consuming. I mean, there's other things too, but that's mostly, that, that's mostly what, um, what I've been about this week. It's been kind of a busy week, especially after Thanksgiving, but spending time with my family, starting to get more intentional. Oh, I will say one more thing. Um, I think I sent you the, there was this Instagram that I found and this woman, her name is Hillary Rachel. I don't know anything about her other than I'm obsessed with her Instagram because. Oh, is that the Ayurvedic? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Her. I'm on this. I'm, I'm, I'm on the path of slow living. I am all about slow living. I love the intentional I love all of it. I love how intentional it is. I love how focused it is. I love how it just feels good when I talk about it. It feels good when I think about it. It feels good hearing you talk about it because while Nikki is on the path of slow living, I am on the path. She's on the the opposite path. path. Of of speed, speed driving um, on a six-lane highway. (laughs) Right. And, and, um, oh, God, I don't even know. I don't even know what I would do with myself on, on slow living. Like it sounds so good, but. Oh God, I know all of the things that I would do. I know all of the things that I would do. And so, and so I'm on this path and so kind of making some transitions. One of the transitions that I made after, you know, so I, I, I checked out this woman's Instagram and there were some things that she did that I was, um, that I've, I, I've all, I've wanted to move towards in a while, but I saw her, I was just inspired. I was just really inspired. You know, when I work with my mentor, she has me look at what we call um, not role models, but reflection models, because she says that when we resonate with someone or when we identify with someone as a role model, it's because we see something in them. Well, and not just that we want, but is also within us. something that we are. And so she says, it's like, it's a reflection model. And so this woman is one of my new reflection models. And um, it's inspired me to kind of move in a new way to do some different things in my life. And one of those things is um, I'm very specific with my nutrition. And I have been over the last year and a half, I have a very um, complicated and um, messy relationship with food. I had, I had previously had a very complicated and um, messy relationship with food. And over the last, I would say almost two years, I have been working on healing that relationship. Um, part of it was with doing a program called the Lifestyle Design with um, my dear friend, Rachel Rowley. Um, and then the other part of it was just finding what works for me and starting to look at food um, in, instead of a way of healing me emotionally and, um, giving me, you know, su- support, you know, kind of like that addiction that we talked about the other week, something that we need to put in us, an external source to heal an internal problem. Um, I started to look at food as, as what it is, as a way to nourish myself in a way to, so 
anyway, I've been very specific on what I eat. I don't eat sugar most of the time. I had some on Halloween and that was a mistake. <laughs> you always some, call me when you eat sugar. I eat sugar. Sometimes like, if I go to too. Disneyland, it's those damn churros. Oh, I, I love churros. Oh my I know God. they're so good, but those churros, they get me. Um, so, but I, I mostly stay away from sugar because I, I act with sugar the same way I act with alcohol. I can't stop. Um, and then, uh, I, I'm, I'm very particular with, uh, my macronutrients. And so anyway, one th- and I, and I, uh, eat meat normally. I was a vegetarian when I was in college. Um, and then I, I started eating meat again and something that I, I would, I've wanted to start to move away from that over the last year or so, but I've been a little timid because of my structure that I have for um, maintaining my relationship with food. And so this week I've moved into switching that up a little bit. And so I did do um, vegetarian meal prep this week. And so that's that's different. It's also shifting um, how I eat and when I eat and how we eat as a family. Um, And I'm definitely consuming more fiber than um, I, I was before. <laughs> so that's something I'm dealing with. But also, uh, it's actually, I, I'm finding that it's a really good switch for my family. Yeah. Um, and I was, well, I've been Bane really, doesn't eat a lot of meat. Bane hates meat. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, well, I shouldn't say, he, he's very specific with the kind of meat that he eats. Yeah. Um, and he would prefer not to eat it at all. And I'm a meal prepper. There's no way I'm ever going to cook a meal every day. I'm never going to be no, the kind of mom not that cooks a fresh dinner every night. And Thane refuses to eat leftover meat. And so it's just been a, like a point of contention for our entire relationship. Yeah. And I'm always conflicted with how much meat to eat. What <laughs> I mean, when, and then the kind of meat that I do eat is so expensive because I buy the organic grass-fed um, good meat. And it's, yep. you know, um, it can get to be very expensive. And so I've just decided to start to, and Bodhi has started to get aware yeah. Of animals. Of animals. Yeah. And it breaks my heart. Yeah. No, it's because, real. Yeah. She starts to, and I, I can see it, like, because we were talking about turkeys at Thanksgiving, you know, because they learn mm-hmm. about turkeys. You know, they yep. learn about turkeys and they see turkeys and then she's eating a turkey and she's like, is this a turkey? Like is a this turkey. A, is this a gobble gobble turkey? Yeah. She had this look on her face and I just thought, oh. Like horrified. Horrified. I know. But she was eating a turkey. So it's so. it's really funny that Nikki's moving into vegetarian because I I was a veg I became a vegetarian when I was two years old, originally, mm-hmm. because when I was young I realized that I was eating a gobble gobble, um, yeah. you know, or a cow, and I refused to eat meat, and so my mom let me become a vegetarian, and I was a vegetarian for for about thirteen years, when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and then um, I went to my mom had me go to a doctor. Because I had some, um, like I wasn't growing. I had some things. And so the doctor's like, look, you really need to start eating meat. Um, because I, I don't think I, I was so young that I wasn't preparing my own food. Um, and my mom wasn't a vegetarian and my dad wasn't a vegetarian. And there was other chaos going on. So I definitely wasn't getting all of my nutrients. So I started to eat meat for a while. And, and then I, I've always gone back and forth. And after I got sober, I became a vegan um, for, for a long time. And I, I really got into cleansing and working with naturopaths and a full vegan lifestyle. And at one point I was a, mostly a raw vegan for probably about a year, a year and a half. And in, during that time I was doing an immense amount of cleanses. Um, and I ended up actually not having my hepatitis C anymore. 
Um, and I, and I, I want to always be careful saying I like cured my hepatitis C from my vegan cleanses because I'm not a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had miraculous, really miraculous results as a, as a, um, consequence of focusing on mostly raw vegan for the time that I did. But it's funny cause I never cured my gut problems. I've always had digestive issues. Um, and that's what I'm dealing with now. But but I actually started eating meat about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And because of the symptoms that I've been struggling with, I, I, I had um, iron deficiency. I had omega-3 deficiency. I, I started to get really deficient because I got so into my career and I was not able to properly um, food prep. And really, it's so important when you're a vegetarian or a vegan to get the right nutrients. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to, I can't stress that enough. Like, you really have to do so much more. And it's not so much more. You, you flow into your rhythm with it. But I was not. Um, and I suffered some consequences. And, and as a result, I decided to continue to try and eat some meat. And I'll never forget, like, the first, I ate hamburger in a chili stew and I sat there bawling, Mm -hmm. like hysterically crying as I started to eat meat. And, and I don't talk, actually people see me in public or will be at an event and they'll see me eating meat and they like, like can't believe it. They're like, wait, do you eat meat? (laughs) And I like, I get, I feel guilty. Like I I have this like guilt. You do. I, another thing, like once you're a vegan or a vegetarian and you start eating meat again, it's extremely, I live in so much guilt um, mm. all the time, but at the same time, I am committed and I'm empowered to really take my health to the next level. And so eating meat for me has helped my relationship with my husband um, and that family mm-hmm. dynamics. It really has, because that was a point of contention. It was so hard eating, you know, and especially when I was a raw vegan, poor Chris, I mean, and he is not in the health world at all. He'll eat anything, like anything at any time. Um, and so it's been nice to cook meals together. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm excited. I feel like I'm about to embark on a whole new way of eating after working with this doctor that, um, I've found in Santa Fe and really, really, he's a functional medical doctor. Um, so I'm excited to see like what's actually going on in my body with all of the blood tests and really figuring out what works. So Mm -hmm. we'll see if I'm still eating meat again or what I'm eating or I'm just trying to stay open. Yeah. And I think that's good to do and just kind of pay attention. It's funny that for you and Chris, you eating meat now makes things easier. And then for Thane and I not eating eating meat makes things easier, but it also makes me, you know, it, it does. I have, um, because I was previously also a vegetarian while I was in college, ever since I stopped, ever since I started eating meat again, there's always been this thing in the back of my head about um, moving towards a plant-based diet. Um, mm-hmm. And I do, I do feel, I do feel better when I eat uh, a plant-based diet. Don't get me wrong. There's no judgment around anybody else eating meat whatsoever yep. because it's, it's amazing. And trust me, the thing that took me out was bacon. So like, <laughs> I get it. Like I, I, I still fish. I still feel bad no matter what I eat. I know, <laughs> That's my I know, but That's like, what I feel bad plant-based. I feel bad meat-based. I right. just don't feel good. Yeah. Right. And I'm going to give myself grace. You know, I probably won't eat meat in the home, but if I go out and it's a good piece of meat or something like that I'll probably consume it um but so anyway so that's what I'm that's another thing that I'm doing this week which has been but the cooking like I'm the the stuff that I made this week was so good I baked a I baked some gluten-free bread I got some learning to do in that area because it was a little little dense 
Um, but I'll work on it. Um, but yeah, it's yummy. And I'm going to go grocery shopping today and make some more soups. Anyway, I'm, I'm just, I'm excited about where, um, personally where, where things are, are heading with my slow lifestyle. I love it. And slow living. So uh, with all that, I mean, our check-ins were like an hour today. Why did no. we got to stop doing this? I mean, but we knew. I but mean, we talked about a lot of stuff. We knew this podcast was going to be a little out there today. So maybe Today's we'll I think we start. Should. Maybe we'll oh. start the discussion and then continue it next week. Um, yeah. So one of the pieces of feedback that we got was about relationships and about our husbands, because we do talk about them a lot. Um and um, kind of talking about how we how we got here with them, um, what our relationships look like now. And I mean, it's a really big topic. So I think maybe a good place to start is um, so uh, just like where we are. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to jump wanna, in. Yeah, I know. I, do you so do? I don't think that there's any way we can talk about our current relationships with our husbands today without giving a backstory of how shitty our relationship with men and mm -hmm. relationships before our husbands were. Right. Because I know you and I both have um, severe trauma. Very traumatic relationships. Very yeah. abusive relationships um, and had so many issues mm -hmm. leading up to the point where we are now. Right. Um, so I think if I think we got to go from the beginning. You think so? Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I know I do, if I'm going to be able to put it in perspective. I mean, I know I do, too. Yeah, because, because I yeah. do love my husband. Um, and we're like, yeah, I'm I do love, Yeah, I do love my husband. Do you want to go first? Do you want, what, you go first. You go first. Oh. Okay, so for me to even um, begin to talk about my husband is like, uh, oh, God, it's hard to go into these. So my first... My first addiction was love. Mm -hmm. um, I came from a family. My parents got separated when I was 12. Um, and so, you know, I did not have a stable, I didn't have a lot of stability in, in any aspect of my life. And so I really started dating older boys at a very, very young age. And I quickly realized that I craved attention and I just wanted to be loved. And when you're 12 and 13, you have no concept of what love actually is, what a healthy relationship is. I had no business doing the things um, I did to myself and that I let older boyfriends do to me at 12 and 13. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had severe trauma early on. Um, and I allowed myself to be in situations that harmed, harmed me for the rest of my life, right. um, in the, in the relationships that I was in. So I always dated an older boy and I was really tortured in school. Um, I had a hard time making girlfriends. And so I really just, I had a couple girlfriends, but then I always had my boyfriend and, and the relationship was always toxic and he was always cheating on me. He was always, um, kind of abusive. He was always a mess. I really went for like the messy of the messy mm -hmm. boys. Mm -hmm. And, and just like starting my second boyfriend, you know, and, mm -hmm. and actually like my second boyfriend I ever had hung himself and killed himself, you know, a couple years ago. So, so just like if you had severe problems, like I was, I was going for you. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then that action kind of accumulated to me meeting my ex, um, who I did marry. I've been married before. It should not count, <laughs> but it does in a, in a really funny legal way. Did um, you guys get married at like a courthouse? Is that what it was? Or I got did you guys... married high on heroin, wearing um, stripper clear high heel shoes in a little blue dress with track marks um, down my entire arms in a courthouse in New Mexico at the age of 21 or 22. Um, and I had paper flowers. Mm-hmm. So I had paper flowers that his stepmom brought me so that I would have flowers. And I don't remember one thing. I know as soon as uh, we said our vows, we were in our car shooting heroin. Mm. Um, and so that was, that was, you guys, my first wedding. Mm-hmm. And that was with a boy that I started to date when I was like 15 or 16. Mm-hmm. And it, he was um, the most damaged out of any of the guys I had ever been with. Um, and it was the most toxic, sick relationship you could ever imagine. And that's how I ended up getting into my heroin addiction was through that relationship. Um, but, but basically I, and I don't even really honestly want to talk that much about him because I feel like in the past I've given that story too much. It's funny when I first got sober, I had this idea in my head and not even when I first got sober, when I was first with him, I truly believed we were like Romeo and Juliet or Bonnie and Clyde and had this love story of the century that nobody understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reality of my relationship was I had married um, a gay drug dealer who was in and out of prison, did not know his sexuality, um, tried to kill me multiple times and abused the shit out of me and gave me hepatitis C. Uh, so that was my relationship. And that's that person and that relationship is what I gave up. I gave everything up for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I gave up my career. I worked in Academy Award winning films. I ran an international nonprofit. I had a ton of money and I traveled all over the world. And I was so sick in my head and I so wanted to save this human being um, that that is. <laughs> That was what my relationship was, and mm-hmm. I and I have to say I didn't, and I normally don't talk about this, but I'm but I'm but I'm going to because it's the truth. But I did not know that he was gay when I married him, and I did not know that he was gay when I was with him, and and he hid that part of himself from me until the very end when everything exploded. We were held up in an in a motel in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was a crack motel, and we dealt. I shouldn't say we, he dealt a ton of cocaine to the local strip clubs. So we, got we had to out. stop uh, my storytelling <laughs> of some of my, of some of my past because we, we realized that uh, maybe actually it might be a little bit too human. Um, so long story short, I had a really, really sick relationship yes. that almost killed me. Yes. Um, and so I was really broken and I had no idea how to be in a relationship. Um, and I tried to get this stupid marriage because you guys, I got married and then like a month and a half later is when I tried to kill myself mm-hmm. and ended up in the hospital and ended up back in rehab. And my mom actually brought divorce papers to my rehab and was like, you're going to sign this right now 
or I'm not going to be in your life. And that's just another example of my mother advocating for me when I couldn't advocate for myself. And she's really my guardian angel. And it's just absolutely everything to me. And so she helped me um, do that. And I had to actually hide in a different state um, and move out of New Mexico and was would never moved back because of the relationship because it was so violent and he then did not want to get divorced from me which is um, sick in a lot of different layers so my mom had to get a lawyer and they kept showing up to the court appearances and they fought my divorce for me while I was in California um, and so yeah it was crazy um, and it was sick and I was sick and um, so there I am newly sober and I am a mess and I had a love addiction and I'm broken and I don't even know how to live, let alone date. You know, I didn't, mm-hmm. like Nikki's, I couldn't, I couldn't shower. You guys, I couldn't get out of bed. Like I was scared of everything. I lived in constant fear, depression, and anxiety every moment of the day. And I had no money. I came out of rehab with a moo-moo and a red bathing suit that was given to my mom after the hospital. I literally owned and had nothing, nothing. I lost all my money. I had stock accounts. He withdrew all my money. I mean, I lost everything, not one penny to my name. And it was rough and it was depressing. Um, And so as my life started to kind of build, I still was just, I decided not to date, but in when I was first sober, Um, but I still, I wasn't going to be in a relationship, but I was definitely dating because that's the other thing in early sobriety. People make really bad dating and sex decisions. I just have to say that. Terrible. Terrible. Yeah, terrible. Terrible decisions. And that's just the real thing to it. But I was under no circumstances going to romantically date anybody. And then a year, about a year later, I was at a um, cocaine anonymous meeting and I saw this boy from across the room And for the first time, um, really ever, like since my first relationship, I got like heart, like my heart felt like I had butterflies in it and my stomach. And I just remember looking over at him like, no, like I, I just was, I did not want to feel that way. I was like, Mm -hmm. no, fuck this. Like, Mm -hmm. no. Um, and so we looked at each other from across this big outdoor meeting in LA for about three weeks. And finally my dog Bubba, um, Mr. Buffs, he's like mm. part of my saving. He's also my guardian angel, my big pit bull Bubba, who's like 90 pounds. And I got him back once I got sober. But Bubba made the introduction to uh, my husband for me. He went right up and just started to like kiss him and, you know, wag his tail and be really cute. And so finally we talked. And it was funny because he was coming out of a horrible relationship also that he had gotten into in early sobriety. Um, and we decided um, to give each other each other's numbers. And I know now we both know that both of us were like, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> we both did not like that we liked each other. Um, and so that same meeting where we finally like exchanged numbers, his sponsor at the time was like, oh, Sarah, like, I've heard you have a really crazy story. We need a speaker. Mm. Um, we need a speaker for our meeting. And so I almost had a heart attack. I mean, I really like wanted to throw up in my mouth. I was so upset that I was asked to be the speaker at this meeting. Um, because I have a really crazy story and it involves my ex and it's, it's horrifying in so many ways. And so I just thought, okay, you know what? F it. Like, 
if he still wants to go get coffee with me, like, then he's really brave. Right. And so, at least he knows. At least he at knows. At least now he knows. He knows. And so I was like, I'm just going to show up. And I'm going to be honest. And it was a 200-person meeting. And I, di- I didn't hold back. And I guess at one point, his sponsor texted him and said, good luck. Good luck with that one during, <laughs> during the meeting. Oh, of um, course. But we went to coffee that night and we were there for seven hours. Um, and I'm going to stop there because I don't even want to, I want Nikki to have time and, and I want to pick it up next time because I do, I do want to preface that, you know, my husband and I, like we grew healthy together mm. and we are one of the, we, he had about two years. I had about a year, you know, we did meet in early sobriety, but, um, yeah, that was eight years ago, and mm-hmm. I got my second marriage and my wedding of my dreams, and, and I want to talk about that next time, and, and, and I do want to get real and honest about what it's like to get sober with somebody, to grow in a relationship, and also grow yourself and your career and your business and um, all those dynamics that my husband and I have, um, which I think can be enlightening and, and honest. Yeah. So. Definitely. I'm going to stop there and do and and save that for next week. But yeah, I think that's a good I think that's good to go into next week because um then I yeah, then we can both kind of pick it up from there and talk about what we do now. Yeah. yeah. I feel like we just do a whole I mean, eh, relationships are so, so much now. So much stuff. Yeah. yeah. And I have eight years with this man and and you do too and yeah, I really want to give I really want to give it um the energy that it that it deserves. Yeah, yeah it deserves. for sure. I get it because um it was actually funny when I got this feedback about talking about relationships and like our marriages now and where we are now. Um, I rarely think of my marriage with Thane as an accomplishment, which is a really interesting thing. Um, and not that, not in the way of like, oh, I got the guy, but in the way of like, I have a healthy relationship today. Mm-hmm. Like that's a fucking accomplishment for me. Huge huge. And so I really appreciate this feedback because it had me think about my relationship with my husband today. And yes, we have a lot of work to do a lot of the time, but at the core of our relationship is like trust and communication and pure love and support. And, um, those are none of the words that I would ever use in any relationship before my husband at all. That was not what I was shown as a child. That was not um, what I was uh, reflected in my relationships that were around me as a child. That's not what I embodied in my relationships that I was in when I was younger. Um Gosh, it's so hard to even think back. And I, I feel like a hesitation in even wanting to share my experience of my relationships um, when I was younger and then even before I met Thane because that's like my heart starts to beat a little bit faster because they were, um, they were bad, you know, they were bad. And I was, you know, I, I, I looked in all the wrong places. Um, I also searched out uh, the, you know, for for me, I think what I looked for in a partner um, was just someone who looked at me, someone who noticed me, you know, Um, and that was like the only requirement was that someone noticed me, Um, which really isn't 
is it much, you know, it was anybody that would give me a little bit of attention. I was like, oh, you, you love me. You know, what do you need from me? And most of the time, you know, what do men want from young women, you know? And so that was what I, what I offered them. And so for me, you know, my parents divorced when I was 12. Um, and I will say my mom, the reason why my parents divorced is because my mom was gay. And so they divorced when I was 12 and my mom then came out, um, to us as, uh, as a lesbian and she got a partner and like right away, right away. And she had a partner that was very open about her sexuality. Um, and, uh, and, and my father, uh, also at that same time became very open about his sexuality. So I just had very uh, conflicting views about, I, I was very conflicted with the idea of relationships and sexuality at 13. Yep. I just, I knew, I knew too much. I knew too much. I was, sh- they shared too much. I saw too much. I heard too much. It was just, it was all, it was, it was too, all much. too much. So like, it's no wonder that I just had no idea how to have any kind of healthy relationship. And um, mm-hmm. I was really just searching for, for any kind of attention because I really don't feel like I, my parents did the best they could with what they had. Yeah. And it wasn't much at the time. So I just searched for it elsewhere. Um, and I, uh, you know, really the main relationship with, for me, was someone who I mentioned on, on the first podcast um, was a man that I met when I was, I was 15. And I met him the same night. Like he was the man who introduced me to methamphetamine. Yeah. Um, and he was six years older than I was. Um, I was 15 at the time. I had just gotten out of rehab. <laughs> I just got out of my first rehab uh, for alcohol. And um, I was actually still in outpatient treatment, getting tested for alcohol and marijuana. But they weren't testing me for meth. So, <laughs> so there you go. So there you go. So that's how I started my addiction to meth was the same night I um, began my addiction to this man. And this man is, is, he was not a good man. He wasn't even particularly good looking. Um, but, you know, the night, I, the night I met him or the, the night we actually started our relationship, I, I think of him as my, uh, I thought of him as my savior yeah. because uh, I was at a party and then I had left the party with these six guys that were all in their 20s, um, and I was 15. And I had left with them. I'd gotten in their truck, and I'd gone to this house, and things started to get a little um, a little hairy with these guys in this truck. And I remember him, he, he, like, took me out of this truck and took me to a bathroom, and I ended up getting sick, and he ended up pretty much molesting me in this bathroom as I was getting sick. But in my mind, I thought, oh, he saved me from those men, you know? Um, and so he became my savior. And so that was the man I spent the next seven years of my life with. And we lived together. Um, we did drugs together. Um, he was, you know, he was from just as much of a broken household as I was. Uh, we were both very traumatized beings and, um, neither one of us really had parents to hold on to. I, I will say I did have my grandparents at the time and they, um, No, you're back on mute now. You did. You weren't on mute. Now there was you like go. Was I coughing? Not on yeah, mute. Yeah, yeah. No, that's okay. 
Sorry. No, no, fine. You're going to have somebody um, edit. That's okay. Um, but I will say, I did have my grandparents at the time. And, and again, they uh, did the best they could with what they what they had. And what they had was financial resources. And, and so they tried everything with their financial resources to, to help me. And it was never enough. But... Um, uh, this man and I, we, we lived together and he didn't, he, he didn't have a high school diploma. I did. I got my GED when I was 16, but he didn't have a high school diploma. So we always had a hard time finding work. Um, and so I found myself by the age of 16, um, working full-time retail jobs, taking care of this, um, meth addict, you know, and, and when I was, you know, 17, we started a career of selling cocaine. So we sold cocaine for, um, for about a year and a half. Um, and that brought on a whole other set of, um, issues with the, the men that were, the the men that were around us and the people that we brought into our lives and me being a 17 year old girl, um, there were a lot of, there were a lot of dysfunction. There was a lot of dysfunction, um, between him and I, between the people that we put ourselves around, um, and we were terrible drug addicts. And so. And alcoholics and all and all of the things. And so in in addition to all of that, we were also extremely volatile and extremely violent. And, um, you know, I don't know how many times he got arrested for domestic violence and um, unlawful imprisonment and and all of those things. And but this was just something that I I was used to. You know, it got to the point where this was just our relationship. This volatility was just our relationship. And um, I really, I, you know, we got, we had gotten engaged. We thankfully didn't get married. Um, but I really thought that he was going to be the person that I was going to be with for the rest of my life. And it wasn't because it was great. No, it wasn't because it was, because, it was because it was what I knew. Yep. It's because I didn't know any different and I was still, um, very, very sick. And then, uh, and then I did end up getting, getting sober and, uh, I, he, and I, and I will, I do want to give him a little bit of credit for helping me quit meth because I was addicted to meth for five years and deeply addicted. Um, and I, I never saw a way out. Um, and, and, and I will say that he, he saw that he saw that I was, uh, if, if I would have continued, I, I would have killed myself. And so, um, he did help me quit. He didn't quit. You know, he pretty much locked me in a room for 10 days. Um, and uh, I, I actually kicked my way through the wall of that room. Um, but that's a whole other story about my violence and vol- volatility um, that can still show up in my relationships today. Mine too. Uh, but uh, he, so he did help me with that, but he still remained addicted. And um, so I quit doing meth when I was 20. And then I, I got sober when I was 21 and he couldn't. He couldn't, he couldn't do it. He could not get sober. He couldn't quit doing meth. He couldn't quit doing cocaine. He couldn't quit drinking. Um, and it came to the point that I, I finally got the courage through the community that I had um, created in my, in recovery to, to leave him. And, um, and I ended up, you know, relapsing uh, because of him, event. I don't want to say because of him. I relapsed because I I relapsed. Um, but if it, it weren't for him, you know, when I when I got sober this time around, I had a mentor that made me write my day down in thirty minute increments for a month and a half. And she told me if any time in that day I thought I had room to give this man a call, I was to call her first. And it wasn't yeah. even drinking; it was him. That's how exactly. addicted I was to him. Yep. And when I relapsed, it's because I, again, needed him to save me. I needed him to say, I want him to save me. You know, he, 
when when I had left him, he actually uh, started a relationship with my best friend. Um, my best friend since I was like 10. Her son called me Aunt Nikki. Um, called him Uncle Aaron. And then all of a sudden he was dad. They were together. And I was like, no, this isn't right. You're with me. Come be with me. And it was this whole thing. I pulled, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to go in a hotel room and you're going to come save me. Thank God he didn't. Yeah. Thank God he didn't. Um, and so, and then after that, when, when he finally realized that it was over, it, it again got very volatile. I ended up having to get a restraining order against him for two years. Um, it was very traumatic with my family because we were together for so long. He had built a relationship with my family, um, where they didn't understand why we were no longer together. You know, they, and, um, you know, he would use members of my family to relay messages or to get information or to see me or to talk to me. And so I, I actually had to cut out members of my family during that time and say, you know, it's actually illegal. I have a restraining order and it's illegal for you to, um, you know, be bringing him to these functions and to be passing on this information because my family is just of this mindset. They are of the mindset of once you find a man, you get a man and you're, you have a man, you have a man. And, and this is where you are. You know, I graduated from Berkeley and my family was like, when are you getting married? You know? So <laughs> like, my family, it's just, it's just this weird thing that's in my family with women. Um, so anyway, it was, it was very challenging and that was the very formative relationship and then I got out of that relationship and I did get into recovery and I had terrible relationship after terrible relationship (laughs) after terrible relationship after terrible relationship and I had flipped the script I had become the one I didn't want to be with you longer than three months yep I mean I was 18 months sober when I met a man 20 years my senior I was 24 he was 44 I lived in Washington state in the time and I moved to Alabama with him because he had a boat Oh my God. He had a boat and it was exciting. And we were going to travel the country on a boat. I mean, and I was with him for, I don't know, four or five months. You know, it was just, those are the kind of relationships I had. I was either with a man that was 20 years older than me. I was with a, a kid who was, you know, four years younger than me with guns tattooed on his neck. I, oh God, I was just, it was one thing after another. And I just, I, it wasn't, and it was always very short period of time. It was never authentic. It was never real. I never, uh, I, I, I never got close. I never got that intimacy that wasn't there. It was all just transactional. It felt like, you know, it was all just for show. Um, I, I, I didn't really have any interest in, uh, I didn't have any interest in marriage. I didn't have any interest in kids. And then I was uh, 27 and I I had been in therapy for quite some time. I had done a lot of work on my trauma. I had done a lot of work on my previous relationship. I had done a lot of work on my family stuff and I had met this man and I had met this man that um, he had pursued me a few years before and I was living in California at the time and he was in Spokane and um, he had he had introduced himself to me again and for some reason this man all of a sudden was attractive to me. And, um, I don't know what it was, but I was just like, I, I want to, you were healthier. Well, I was healthier. Yeah. I'm talking about, well, you'll see in a minute. Uh He was, he was not, he was not, but I was in a place where I was ready. I was, I was so ready. I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to do this. And I met this man and he was in Spokane and I was in California and I was like, we're going to make this work. And I, I, I learned a few little things about him. You know, he told me that he was divorced 
Tommy had a few kids. Um, and then, you know, he was still earlier in recovery, but I felt, you know, I had known people around him. I had known his friends that were around him and I felt like it was good and it was safe. Um, and so we started dating and we did the long distance thing. We talked every night, you know, we, uh, and, and I actively in my relationship with him was in therapy, working towards being a good partner, working on really moving closer to him and building intimacy. I put the footwork in with this one. I was, I was in it. And I remember I had a friend that called me and it was like, what are you doing with this person? I was like, I'm, I'm in it. And they're like, are you, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And it was about five and a half months in. And not only did he, um, he called me to tell me that his quote unquote ex-wife was actually like nine months pregnant with his son and that it wasn't actually his ex-wife. He was actually married. And I just like, my heart still stinks, still like sinks because here I am like, how could I still be so fucked in relationships? How could I still be so fucking wrong? You know, like, how could I be? And you're really trying. So wrong. Like, this is the time that I am trying and I'm trying to show up and I'm trying to be a partner. And he's fucking married. With a baby on the way. With one baby already there and another baby on the way. Yep. You know, how dumb, how stupid. Like, what was I thinking? And that's when I was like, all right, done. Like, fuck this. This is not for me. Apparently, this (laughs) thing. Yep. And so I'm like, I'm just going to dive head into my academics. Like, yep. you know, I was at the time I was uh, studying to become an archaeologist. You know, they live a very um, mobile nomadic. life anyway, yeah. a very nomadic life anyway. So that was going to work better for me. I had some really interesting views about population control at the time. So I was like, I'm not going to have kids anyway. So um, it was just like, this is a sign. This is a sign for me. I'm not going to do it. And then... Um, a few months later, I and I had I'd actively, actively said, I'm not going to do this with my therapy, with my friends around me. Like, <laughs> yep. this is not. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it again. This last one was bad. And, that, and, and you know what? I don't even think that was the worst guy no. that I had been with. Because now that I think back, there's another guy that I'm just like, I, I, I anyway, it was not it's even all the bad. worst. It's all bad. Um, they were all bad and I was unprepared and I, I just need, I had more work to do. And then I, um, so I was, I was really headstrong into my academics and I was a tutor for my anthropology professor. And I remember I was, um, in her office greeting papers and this, this guy came in to say hi. And, um, and you know, he was talking to the professor and he was like this really tall guy with this super curly hair and, um. It was almost like I, I didn't know if he saw me or not because I, I had gotten I had gone mousy is what I had done. I had gone academic mousy. Don't look at me in Berkeley. Don't acknowledge me. This was actually still in Santa Barbara. Okay. This was still in Santa Barbara. And I was just like, don't look at me. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I was I was I, I retreated to the mountains into my academics. I'd become like a yep. trail runner. I was going to just run ultra marathons and not intense at all. Oh, super intense. I'd go out and run nine miles on a Wednesday afternoon. It was insane. Get lost in the mountains all weekend. But I just didn't want to have anything to do with relationships. Um, and um, 
so I, uh, I, I, like I said, I'd gone, I'd gone mousy. So I, I was in my hat, I was in my sweatshirt, I was cuddled in the corner, like reading papers. And I remember I saw this guy at the corner of my eye and he was, you know, he was handsome and he was really, he sounded really smart. And I, I remember seeing him there. Um, and I remember asking my professor, I was like, who, who's that? Is he from, is he like a grad student at like UCSB or something like that? And she's like, no, no, he's one of the students here. And I was like, oh, interesting. And so I just, he had stayed in my mind just for that brief moment. And then um, a few weeks later, I had come, I was over at her house grading the final. And, you know, she would do these things where she would make waffles and we would grade papers together. It was really fun. But then this guy came over, the one that had um, come by her office that day. And I thought that he was there to, like, help grade papers. And I was like, so you're going to help us grade papers? He's like, oh, no, no I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm going to write my screenplay. <laughs> And I was like, I'm sorry, you're going to what? He's like, I'm a screenwriter. I'm like, yeah, sure. So is everybody else in Santa Barbara. Okay, yeah, yeah, of course you're a screenwriter. And um, it was the same guy that I had seen in the office. And it was funny because he, you know, he he is a screenwriter. But he sat there and he was writing. And at the time, one of the last requirements that I had to get to be able to transfer was uh, like an arts um uh, an, an arts credit and I don't say it like that but I just a lot I, I did a lot of science while I was in school so um so I had to take an arts class so I was taking this film class and I had to write a summary about one of the films and I remember sitting there talking to my teacher Felisa and I was like oh god I have to write the summary for this movie Stagecoach it's terrible it's so predictable it's so stereotypical it's absolutely it's whatever it's gonna be so easy to write but it's just this burden that I have to do and he's like oh Stagecoach John Ford with John Wayne? I'm like, yeah. He's like, it's my favorite movie. I was like, no, it, <laughs> no, it's not. And it was. It was his favorite movie. But it was it was funny because I was attracted to him and I saw something in him. And I remember I was, I, at this point, um, uh, he was not making any moves. He was not, you know, because he's my husband. If you know my husband, he is so laid back. Yep. He's so chill, so laid back. He's the kind of guy that just like waits. He waits, you know. He, he, um, he plays the long game. For sure. And um, and I actually was like, well, oh, if this is your favorite movie, do you think you maybe have some books to help me with my paper? Um, you know, trying to get like a number or something. And so and that was um, I got his number and then I, you know, called him to see if I could borrow his books and we met for coffee. And then, yeah, that's a pretty good spot to stop. And then, yeah, wait for both of us met with our with our hus- now husbands yeah, now for husbands. coffee. Yeah, it was coffee and um, uh, there's another airplane. Gosh, it's so, so loud. loud. We d- I don't live close to an airport, so I don't I know, know what is happening today. They must have like rerouted the flight path. Something during podcast time. Um, but so, yeah, so and now and we're still together and it was and it's been a long road. It's been a long road. And I think one of the one of the things that um, comes out of the one of the biggest things that still comes out of my re- relationships previously into the one now is that um, passion. I'm gonna call it passion because I don't want to. I don't want to use the c word for me for women. I don't like that. I don't want to use like hysterical or crazy. I'm gonna say passion. I get very passionate. Um, and Thane has a beautiful way of staying patient. With my passion. And, and I think Chris does too. And balancing us a little bit. I think they both are, are grounders. Yeah, uh, for sure. They do. I mean, they just are. The, and they're actually pretty similar 
And so in some ways, um, and we'll talk more about that, but, but I do think it's funny when people started saying like, talk about relationships, Nick and I are both like, uh, like, like relationships relationships <laughs> like, are so hard guarded. there's so much there and even and my relationship today I think oh and the trauma and, the, and when you really like just sitting here for me talking about my early self and then listening uh, to you talk about your early self I think like it's it honestly is a miracle that we are both sitting here yeah. right now doing everything that we're doing. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, and, and, and we do have to wrap this up because big, big sprite, we're, big ship, go to well, we're time. I mean, I think I got some editing to do, so it'll be like right at a half an hour, but yeah. no, I think this is a really good time for us to wrap up. Cause then we can next week talk about some of the things that we do in our life right now with our relationships. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, what they look like today and what some of those things are. So yeah, I think next week we can just pick it up. But yeah, this was a great, it's a great podcast. We talked about, we talked about a lot of we stuff today. We talked about so many different things. Oh, I know. Really good. It was really good. Um, but where can we find you, love? Where can we? You find can find me you? at the sober Sarah. Where can I find you? You can, can find you? me at rise and align with. Nicole on Instagram. You can also find us, or if you have any questions, comments, yes, feedback yeah. from us, you can email us at wildandfreepodcast at gmail.com. And then also subscribe. We're now on iTunes. Subscribe Yay. and please review us. The more reviews we get, the more we get out there, the more people know about us, the more that we can have a richer, fuller just... community. We're hoping to at some point maybe even start some social media stuff, maybe even um, if we get enough interest, um, maybe we can even start doing some fun like Google Hangout stuff where we all can, can meet as a community maybe once a month. That would maybe be sometime next year. Okay, um, awesome. And send but, us anything that you want us. I mean, we talked, quite frankly, we talked about relationships today because a couple people wanted to hear about relationships. So right, yeah, send so, us ideas or things you want to hear about or Want us or to talk about suggestions that you have if you have books or podcasts or tools that you use that you want to share with us or you think would be Please helpful? Do. I'll take any and all of the protein based, like protein packed vegetarian, like meal prep recipes that you have. Send them my yep. way. I need them um, at wildandfreepodcast.com. I'll totally <laughs> wildandfreepodcast at gmail.com. At gmail. Yes. We'll send, it, send us all of your stuff. Send us all of your stuff. But um, it was so have great chatting week. with you. I, I love you, Sarah. And I love all of our listeners. You. you guys have a great weekend. Bye. Bye.